0: All right, we're well, glad y'all are here tonight. Um, hope y'all got some good questions. And um,
1: glad y'all are here tonight. Hope you got some good answers. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to deferring to you if I don't. Yeah.
0: So uh, so hopefully you got some questions for real and you're thinking of those. Um, to start us off, I, I kind of was thinking this, this week, I wasn't here last Sunday. Um, Josh Green did a good job t- teaching about the, the King James uh, Version, the King James Controversy, why some... Um, why some churches think that that's the only uh, legitimate, correct English translation, um, but it occurred to me while I was listening to that online and, and some of the comments that I have made earlier in the in the in the series, it occurs it occurred to me that we've been using this word manuscript sometimes, and I, and I thought that maybe not everyone knows what that refers to, what a manuscript is, or what that means, and so um, to kind of go back to what Josh Green was talking about last week, a, a manuscript is a is a handwritten document right it's not just the bible of any kind of historical document Uh, a manuscript is a is a handwritten uh, copy of a historical document so um so like a manual transmission is a is a transmission that you uh shift by hand a manuscript uh, is a writing script is writing that's done by hand right and so uh back back before the 1400s or so When the printing press was invented um, all copies of all documents were uh, were by hand there were no there was no carbon paper there really wasn't paper even for a long time but there was no carbon paper there were no copy machines there were no uh, printing presses typewriters computers none of that kind of stuff of course and so every copy had to be made by hand okay and so a manuscript is a handwritten copy um and so when we talk about manuscripts in reference to the new testament what we're talking about in the old testament we're talking about um, handwritten copies of the Bible or parts of the Bible that have been found in archeological excavations, right? Sometimes they're found in, old, in ancient libraries. Sometimes they're found um, in, in there have been some that have been found in trash dumps um, and in other places. And there, were, there was a, um, you may have heard of the um, Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, those were found back in the 40s, I believe it was. Um, there were some kids in, in Israel that were playing, and they were throwing rocks back and forth in this mountainous area that had a lot of caves. And one of the rocks went into a cave, and they it, it made a sound, and they thought, what was that? So they went in to see what it was, and they found all these um, pottery-type jars uh, in this cave. And when they opened them, they were full of um, ancient writings. And, um, and they were, it was the Old Testament and, and some other writings as well. Um, so, so that's what a manuscript is, a handwritten copy. And so when, when, when uh, historians and archaeologists are doing these uh, research projects and they, uh, and, and they find these things, they, they put all those together, and, and, and that's what we have to go from. So when we talk about like a Greek New Testament or, or a Hebrew Old Testament, if you were to go to a, to a college or to a seminary and, and study Greek or study Hebrew, you would buy a Greek New Testament. You would buy a Hebrew Bible, Hebrew Old Testament. Um, but no one's ever dug up a Greek Bible. No one's ever dug up a Hebrew Bible. What's been discovered in these archaeological digs are pieces, or they're called fragments of the Bible, right? So maybe they found part of Matthew's gospel in one place, and then they found part of Luke's gospel somewhere else, and then they found another part of Matthew's gospel here, and another part of Matthew's gospel over here. And so say they have 25 copies, um, historical copies have been found of Matthew chapter 6, right? Then they compare those to each other, and they say, okay, well, there's 25 copies, in 24 of the copies, it's got this word right here. In one copy, it's got this word that's really similar to the other word, but it's just misspelled. And so the 24 is probably the correct the correct text, right? And so they put all that stuff together, and that's how we get the, the New Testament and, and the Old Testament, the Greek and, and, and Hebrew Old Testaments. Um, and as Josh mentioned last week, the uh, the King James Version is based on manuscripts, handwritten copies, that are as uh, young as the 10th century, so the 900s AD. So 900 years after Jesus is when, when these copies were found. Well, since then, there's been lots of other archaeological digs, lots of other historical studies, and they've been, there's been lots of other manuscripts that have been unearthed, that have been discovered in different places. And so now we have manuscripts that go back way, 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 way earlier than um, the 10th century, right? And so the King James is based on these manuscripts, and, and the King James is a good translation, to, like Josh was saying last last week. Um, but there are older, better manuscripts, better evidence, going back closer to the time of Jesus, uh, that seem to be more accurate. And so that, that that's why we don't think the King James is the only English legitimate English Bible. You know, we've had some people in our churches recently pass away. Miss um, Nada Goff, for example, is one of them. And so let's say that. Uh, that someone wants to wants to know what Miss Nada was like and someone, you know, she was very dear to them. And so they decided to write a biography of Miss Nada, right? And so now it's 100 years later and we've got these two biographies of Miss Nada golf, right? And one of them was written by someone in our church right now today that knew her and, and, and loved her and was around her a lot. And then another one was written, um, you know, 100 years after she died or 50 years after she died based on some diaries they found or something like that. Um, well, you can get some things from the diaries, you get some things from the older one, but the closer back to her actual life you go, um, the, the more accurate we're going to see those things as, as being um, in most cases, right? And that's how the manuscripts of the, of the New Testament and Old Testament work as well. So I just thought that might be helpful if some people didn't know what a manuscript was, didn't know what that referred to. So um, hopefully you got some questions. I'm going to start out just asking you guys both a question. Um, Jake... Uh, w- for the youth, for teenagers, for young adults in our church. Um, what what Bible translation would you recommend that they use? What type of Bible would you recommend that, that they use? What type of Bible would you recommend families purchase for teenagers or young adults? Um, and then Matt, same question, but for uh, younger children.
1: Yeah, so me personally, I use the English Standard Version, and I think that's what most of us pastors use. I think Matt might use the CSB. Um I think it's a good translation. I've been using it for, I don't know, over a decade. Uh, it's it's readable, it's uh, easy to understand, uh, and you know, I'm with youth, middle school and high school age kids, and they've been reading for a while, and, and it's definitely not anything that's too hard for them to understand. Uh, you know, every, every now and then, and in any Bible that you use, you might come across words that you're not familiar with or that you need to look up. Uh, but I, I would say that ESV is a, good, is a good translation of the Bible that I would recommend for young people. I think they'll easily be able to read it and understand it. It's not going to be too over their head with words that they're not familiar with. Um, but also, if, if they're looking for something to help them understand the Bible, uh, ESV puts out a, uh, an ESV study Bible, and there's lots of different variations. You've got like the MacArthur study Bible and, and things like that uh, that are based on the, they use the ESV text and then just have study notes underneath. Uh, and those are always helpful. I know all of us are probably familiar with study Bibles, and, and there's some helpful information in them that, you know, when you come across a difficult passage, they help you to understand it, give some some light on, you know, context that you're maybe not familiar with. But uh, another version that I would recommend would be the NIV. Uh, I used the NIV before I used the ESV, uh, and it's also it's, it's readable. Uh, it's very easy to understand. Uh, and so I would say you know, either of those would be fine. There are others that would be fine as well, uh, but those are the two that I'm most familiar with, and obviously the, e- the English Standard Version more so than the NIV, but, but I think either one would be a great translation to recommend to a young, young person. Uh,
2: since I'm dealing with younger kids, uh, depending upon the age, if, if, you're, if your kids are in uh, birth through nursery, Uh, we can look at a lot of paraphrasing that's done in children's Bibles. If you look at uh, Jesus' Calling uh, Bible or other Bibles that are used for really small children, they're going to be paraphrased. Uh, Now, the the thing that we want to be careful with, with anything that's a paraphrase, is that uh, our children are learning the ideas and concepts, not necessarily trying to memorize the Scripture from those. Um, but we do want them to, to be able to read and understand the stories and those paraphrases oftentimes are, are simpler and easier for kids to understand. So there's lots of those resources available uh, either through LifeWay or Christian Books. Uh, I, I think that the main thing that I look for in those is that uh, it, there's a heavy focus on Jesus and uh, as we tell and look through those paraphrased stories, uh, that really it's, you're teaching them the concept of of understanding what God has done and who Jesus is. Uh, as they begin to come into E Kids, once they get into the, the kindergarten age and, and and on up through fifth grade, and they they begin to read, the New International Readers Version is actually a very easy to read uh, version of the Bible. Uh, the, that the grading, if you guys remember that chart that uh, that Josh. Uh, printed out and handed out to us. It showed what grade levels uh, you needed to read at in order to be able to understand uh, the way that the, the language is put together. Uh, the easy to read version is like a 2.9, so it's basically like a third grade reading level and uh, very easy to read. Uh, I'm going to read for you uh, just two uh, pieces of scripture real quick. Uh, John 3 16 through 17, which most of us know that in King James, probably, uh, in our minds. That's how I, I always uh, remembered it from when I was a kid, learning it uh, from King James. But uh, the, the New International Reader's Version, which is based off of the NIV, uh, says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Anyone who believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. He sent his son to save the world through him. So you see that the, the concept and what they're teaching is is consistent with what is taught in uh, the ESB or the NIV or the CSB. Uh, it's the same concept, it's just that the language and the structure of the sentencing uh, and wording is has been simplified some for kids Uh, to read and understand. It's a reliable translation. It's a more modern translation, again, uh, based on the NIV. Uh, In eKids, we actually have the same uh, Bibles that we have uh, in the pew. So we have the white ESB Bibles that we use. Uh, Those are pretty easy for them to to read, uh, but sometimes they struggle with some of the words. So uh, if you're looking for a Bible for those uh, younger kids, the uh, NIRV, the, the easy to read, version is is one that that I would recommend. The main thing with any of those, and I think we've said this uh, a couple times throughout, is that we want to make sure that, number one, that we're getting a reliable uh, English translation that they can read. That's the most important thing. If we can get kids to read and understand the concepts of the Bible as they grow and as they're able to understand a bit more uh, from a uh, a theology perspective, it's not that it's different, it's just that it's going to be closer to a word-for-word type translation uh, as opposed to a thought-for-thought. And so when they're little, making sure they understand the thoughts, making sure that it's easy for them to read and enjoyable for them to read uh, is is really important. Okay, what questions you guys have? Yes,
0: ma'am? Yeah, which one do you guys want that? I think you do. Go ahead. You want me to? Yeah. So, so when we were doing the study, we were talking about the difference. One of the one of the things we talked about is the difference between a translation and a and a paraphrase, right? And so, with the with the translation, um, the translator starts with the Hebrew text or the Greek text, and they try to to translate that into English. And, and there's a, a, a spectrum on that. Some, some translation committees are, are very much focused on a word-for-word word translation and try to put each Greek word into an English word or each um, Hebrew word into an English word. Other, com, other committees are more of a thought-for-thought, a thought, sometimes it's called, or dynamic equivalence where um, instead of one word equals one word uh, in, in Greek to English, it's, well, let's look at what's being said, and let's try to translate each sentence or each phrase, each thought into uh, an English thought. Um, the message is more of a paraphrase, though, and, and a paraphrase is, uh, is not, a, not necessarily a translation. I think even when, you, when Eugene Peterson translated the message or, or produced the message, um, I don't think he was looking at Hebrew and Greek. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think he was. I think he was taking an English Bible and putting it into language that would be helpful, useful for his children right? And so he's paraphrasing it into, um, into different, different language. Um, and that's not necessarily bad. Uh, it's not necessarily good. It, it depends, kind of depends on what you're using it for. So if you're going to take a Bible like the Message or like the Living Bible is another um, uh, paraphrase that used to be pretty popular. The, there's one that I don't really know much about, but I've heard of it called the Cotton Patch Bible. Some of y'all maybe have heard of that, that Bible before. Um, but those are all paraphrases. And if you're going to take a a paraphrase and try to do like an uh, an in-depth, serious um, Bible study, then that may not be the best Bible to use for that because you're not getting a a word-for-word back to the the original. Um, However, if you're wanting to read um, to your children in a way that they would understand it, that might be helpful. If you're wanting to, um, you know, if you're studying the Bible, say, using a a more um, word-for-word translation like, Uh, the esv or new american standard or something like that and but it's a version that you've always read and so you're really used to what it says already then picking up something like the message could be helpful because it's kind of new language and in some ways may be kind of shocking to you and kind of kind of help you see something that you haven't seen before just because you're so used to how it's um how it's written in, in the translation that you're used to um it might even be helpful to you as a as like a devotional um type reading um so I think I think the message can can be can be good if it's used for a, for a good purpose. Um, but, but I think we would want to maybe use it alongside something else if we were going to do in-depth serious Bible study or teaching or you know you, you probably won't ever hear anyone from here preaching from the message, for example, you know, um, or a Sunday school class or Bible study or something teaching from the message. Um, but, it, but, it, but it can be useful for for other things.
1: And I would say, I mean, I so when preparing to preach or teach, I have actually used the message before, especially if I'm working through a passage of Scripture that, you know, I'm just having a hard time understanding, like, what is the gist of this here? I'll go read it in the message and just see what that says to see if maybe that gives me an idea of, you know, which way uh, they think the... Uh, the main point is going, uh, and then I'll consult other translations as well that I don't typically use, but it's good to kind of look at different translations and compare them and see how uh, you know the different translations, how they translate this certain phrase or, or something like that, that's oftentimes helpful in getting to um, you know the the meaning of what the Greek or Hebrew text was. Mm-hmm. Other questions? Austin in the back?
0: Well, and, and those are those are kind of maybe two different questions. Um, on the one hand, why do we have so many English translations? And on the other hand, is is that a good thing? Should we have so many English translations?
2: So, uh, what I was going to say is uh, I, I think part of the reason we have so many English translations is because we've been blessed with people who had a desire to see God's Word translated, right? Mm-hmm. So if we go back uh, to when the Bible was first translated into English Um, and and moving on from there, each time there was a subsequent translation, there was a desire for us to go back and do the research and be critical of the text, not in a negative way, but be critical of the text and say, are we looking at this correctly? Was this translated uh, as accurately as it could be? Uh, We have the paradigm of, is it a thought-for-thought or is it a word-for-word translation? And I think uh, as time goes on, we've continued to have people who looked at the text and say, uh, based upon what we're reading on the oldest manuscripts, the most numerous manuscripts of which there are, uh, Womble mentioned 25 earlier, but there's there's literally thousands and thousands of, of, of pieces of, of uh, text that, that we can look at. Are we accurately representing what God's word says, what we believe God's word to say? So I think that's why in English we have so many is that there's a continuing effort for us to see God's word uh, in a, in a Uh, a format that is readable, that is accurate, and that conveys the thoughts of the author. And that's why there are uh, Bibles across that spectrum, Uh, because sometimes you might say, well, this is so literally translated that we're losing the thought, and then someone says, well, we need something that's kind of in the middle. And because the United States happens to be a a country that has um, the, the means to do so, we have teams that are dedicated to, to doing those translations in English. Um, is that a good thing? Uh, I think if we could look at that and say, is that a good thing? Uh, too much of a good thing may be confusing, uh, I, I think, in, at times. And, um, you know, there was a time about 250 years where the King James Version was the primary text in English, right? And it's, it's a bit easier if we said the Copy of God's word, or your copy of God's word in English, and it literally was talking about a copy. Today, if I'm reading Scripture, Marshall and the guys are trying to make sure that they have the CSB version so that it follows along with me as I'm reading Scripture. We've had some we've had some chuckles over that uh, at times where the wording is 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 you know different enough, um, but I, I think that it can be somewhat confusing as people try to select well, which which copy are we to to use? Which copy are we to see as an authoritative source? And I think that that's that's a wrong question, right? So the the copies that we have are authoritative, right? Whether it's ESV, it's NIV, uh, King James, those are authoritative copies based off of original manuscripts. And so there's a good and bad to it. The good to it is, uh, as Jake was saying, as we're preparing, as we're studying to preach, we have the luxury of having multiple Looks at thought for thought, word for word, paraphrase. We can look at those as we prepare to teach and preach. And so it's a blessing, but on the flip side, sometimes it can cause confusion, whereas someone might be reading and say, Hey, my my translation says unicorn, why does yours say young ox? Right, and so I, I think those are those are things where we need to be able to to have some some grace and, and 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 patience with each other, and understanding that as long as we're looking at a reliable translation from God's word, that uh, if your translation uses a little bit different language uh, as far as how it's explaining uh, that thought or that that word is translated, as long as it's not changing significantly the gospel message. Uh, and the original intent of the author and the words of the author is if I I don't have a problem with those translations being different I think it's actually helpful but it can be confusing and that's obviously why we're we're having this discussion this evening Mm
0: -hmm. I think uh, just real quickly I think another another side to that is that you know one reason that there's so many different English translations is because English keeps changing you know um, you're you're not that old, Austin. I don't know, I don't know exactly how old you are, but you're not that old. But there are words right now that people use in English all the time in common everyday speech that didn't exist when you were in high school, you know? And maybe words that you did use then that nobody uses now or that mean different things now, you know? And so I think one reason is because translators are trying to keep up with the changes um, in English. And sometimes those changes can be good. Sometimes those changes can be can be bad. Um, I was thinking about the King James Version this week. And, and watched, I don't know if it was an article I read or a video I watched, I can't remember, but they were talking about the King James, and often people think that, you know, the King James uses those words, thee and thou and thy and thine, and sometimes people get the impression that that's just like special words to refer to God, but it's not. When the King James was translated, so in English today, the word you, while you, like the preposition or the the, uh, pronoun you, um, there's no distinction between whether that's one you or multiple yous, right? There's no there's no distinction between singular and plural. It's both you. Now, some places we, we say y'all, right? You and y'all for singular and plural. But in English, there's not really that distinction now. There used to be. When the King James was translated, thee, thou, thy, thine, that's singular you. And when they say you, your, yours, that's plural you. And that's how English was then. It's not that way anymore. And so that's that's one, one place where English is kind of... Um, changed for the worse because now sometimes when you're reading the bible and it says you know jesus says um you all should do this something or 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 whatever it might however it might be there's sometimes some confusion of okay when he says you all who is he is he saying you all like all of them or is he saying you like one of them and 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 there's some passages where that might make a difference if it's referring to one person or a group of people and so that that's that's one example where it may not be such a good thing but it's an inevitable thing, it's, not, it's something that exists, English changes and, um, and so I think one, one motivation is translators trying to keep up with those changes, Josh. Uh, So there's two that I mentioned that I remember mentioning. There might have been a third one. I can't remember. But I know I mentioned two that night. One of them is is called the New World Translation. The New World Translation or the NWT. um, And the New World Translation is uh, the Jehovah's Witness Bible. And so it is the Bible. um, However, and it's not a translation technically either. It's not like they, they didn't start with Greek and Hebrew and translate that into English. They started with the King James Bible and they took certain things out or they changed certain things to match um, what the Jehovah's Witness, um, I don't know if they call themselves a church or, or whatever, the Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they, they made some changes to match their doctrine, to match, match what they believe. Um, and so we would say that that is not a good, that is not a good translation, not a, not a good translation of the Bible at all. We would not recommend using that one. Um, and then there's, a, there's another one called uh, the Joseph Smith Translation. And that's the translation that the Mormons use, and and it's the same thing. It's not he didn't start with the with the Hebrew or Greek and, and translate it into English. Again, he started with the King James version, and he uh, made some changes to it um, to match Mormon doctrine. Um, I don't believe that the Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, Church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, I don't think they use the Joseph Smith translation that much anymore. Um, They they use the King James Bible a lot, and they say the King James Bible is uh, completely true, 100% reliable, as long as it's translated correctly. And so anytime the King James says something that they don't want it to say, they say, "Oh, well, that was a mistranslation and it shouldn't say that, it should say this instead. And the reason we know that it's a mistranslation is because we have this other Testament, the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon is more reliable than the Bible. and so we use the Book of Mormon to judge what the Bible says. but but the uh, the Joseph Smith mistranslation does exist and it's out there. Um, and so we definitely wouldn't recommend using either one of those two. and I can't remember if there was' an, if there was another
1: one or not. I think I was the two that you mentioned. Well, you also mentioned just a few minutes ago the Cotton Patch Bible, yeah. and uh, it's not even really, I mean, you're not going to be able to find it. It's not going to be on the shelf in like, you know, Barnes and Noble or whatever. You may be able to find it online, but all it is is the guy basically, I think he only translated Matthew and Acts or, or one gospel and Acts or something like that, and he changed it to where it's set in the south. So I think he changed Jerusalem to Atlanta. And things like that. So, I mean, it's, it's like, ridiculous. That's not, I, we would not even consider that a real translation of the Bible. But I have a copy of it somewhere at home, and that's why I know. It's kind of comical to read, to be honest with you. Drew.
2: I think it's helpful if you can at times go back to Greek and Hebrew. I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar and most of the the things that I look at when I do that are literal word-for-word translations so you don't get all of the extra connecting words that we have in English right but sometimes those things are helpful uh, if you're doing some deep study so uh, I, I think that we you know obviously if I could read Greek and Hebrew would love to use that as a a primary source, right? But uh, as far as preaching that to you guys, I still have to come back to a modern English translation, right? Uh, The work that Marcus and Rachel are doing with uh, their translating, uh, the, the work that Wycliffe does with translating is certainly doing that exact thing. They're going back to the original Text as close as possible, making sure that the ideas and words are communicated appropriately into a new language. So, uh, for sermon prep, yeah, there's times where you could do that. Uh, I do like to look at multiple translations at times. I do know that uh, our pew Bibles, uh, you know, if if you're using the ESV, it is helpful. If 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 I use the ESV as I'm preaching, again, I don't always do that. Sometimes I'll use my CSB. Uh, I have an NIV as well. And uh, we will use uh, Logo, Logos or Logos uh, software to do word searches. We'll use it to do thematic searches. Um, and then, you know, we'll look through Bible dictionaries and concordances and, and things like that as we, uh, as we preach. And I, and I know that each of us uh, probably prepares a little differently. And so the things that I'm giving you are kind of standard things that we would, we would all do but maybe just use differently depending on how we're preparing for a particular Uh, particular uh, sermon. I do like the idea of using a a closer word-for-word translation to preach out of and to study out of, and I think that um, the reason for that has to do with making sure that we're preaching as close as we can in English to what was originally uh, recorded. Uh, The thoughts are good, I think, uh, when we talk about like the uh, Amplified or, uh, or other Bibles that are more of a you know, a paraphrasing of a thought. That's good at times, uh, I think, for us as we try to communicate a concept, but my preference would be to prepare by reading and studying in uh, a translation that is a closer to a word-for-word type um, translation.
0: Well, you brought up the Amplify Bible. Let's go back to the other question about dangerous Bibles or Bibles not to use. I'm, I wouldn't say not to use the Amplify Bible, but I would just give one, one caution in using the Amplify Bible. If you don't know um, how the Amplify Bible works, um, I don't have one, but my understanding of how it works is it's a, it's a translation. It's a, it's a good translation as far as I know, but, but there are certain keywords where when it gets to a word, it'll it'll translate it and then it'll put in parentheses all the other things that that word could possibly mean, Right. Um, and so we, I gave the, the example of the of the word R E C O R D back a few weeks ago when we were we were talking about this R E C O R D, and I asked, how do you pronounce that word? Well, you don't know, right? You don't know how to pronounce it because you don't know if it's record or record. It depends on how it's being used, how you would pronounce it, right? And so, um, and, and so if you're having a, you know, if you're reading through the Amplified Bible, I don't think the word record is ever in, in the Bible or the word record. But if you're reading through the Amplified Bible and you come to the word record, let's say, and they, in the parentheses, they say um, musical recording, um, um, certificate of, uh, of real estate transfer, um, if they say, and, and, they, and they put out all the different things that the word record could possibly mean, Okay, well those are all the things it could possibly mean, but that doesn't mean it means all of those things in that sentence, right? In that in that sentence in that context it only means one of those things. And so just because all those meanings are there doesn't necessarily mean that all those meanings are legitimate in that in that context in that sentence. So that's a just a just a caveat for the amplified bible.
1: Yeah, and I guess the only thing I would add is <coughs> coming back to Drew's question. Um if, if you can use the Hebrew and the Greek in preparation, that's, that's great and that's helpful. Uh, but I think just having a really good understanding of your English Bible, uh, is really helpful, you know, knowing it cover to cover, uh, and reading it a lot and just, um, you know, thinking about all the different things that it says, because one of the things that you'll start to see when you do that is you'll start to see how different portions of the Bible all, you know, connect and interpret one another and things like that, 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 that you wouldn't necessarily get, you know, if you only study whatever passage you're going to preach or teach. You know, there's uh, there's a whole lot of stuff you're going to miss if you neglect, you know, some of the other parts of Scripture that are not as common uh, to preach or whatever. Uh, but I think just, you know, we are at a point in history where we have really good, really reliable English translations of the Bible, uh, and it would be silly for us to, you know, to think that that's not good enough for us and to think that we need more. Now, if we have the opportunity... To learn some Greek and Hebrew, then then take it. That would be great. It would be helpful, uh, but I I wouldn't say it's necessary.
0: <laughs> My dad used to say growing up that a little bit of knowledge is it can be very dangerous, right? If you know a little bit about electricity, that can be really dangerous because you might think you can do more than you know about, right? If you know a little bit about computers, you can really mess your computer up if you because you might think you know more. And and Greek and Hebrew can kind of be that way sometimes. A little bit of knowledge can be can be kind of dangerous. Um, because it can be misused and used to make points that are not that are not right, that are not true, that are not real. So, yeah, I trust in the English Bible is really good. Other questions that you all might have? Eli? Are Bibles 100% true? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but no. not the New World Translation or the Justice Man <laughs> Translation. <laughs> What about this? Let me ask this question, um, and this might be kind of a trick question: um, Are Bibles one hundred percent literal? There's. Do we believe the Bible's literal?
1: Good question. <laughs> Maybe it's more of a trick question than I thought it was.
2: It is more of a trick question. I I, I think that uh, as we look at Scripture, there are certain times where. Um, one hundred percent sure, yes, we absolutely take it to be one hundred percent literal. Uh, I do think in in discussing and this is something that i've I've discussed with my kids because we've been studying in revelation, uh, there are things that John describes to us that are a bit beyond our co- comprehension yeah. and I, and I'm I don't know how to fully fathom and understand six winged creatures with eyes all over and and uh, so mm-hmm. as we talked about that with our, with my kids, I said, well, he's describing what he's seeing in the vision. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know uh, to, to, to describe to you or to understand how to even begin to understand that. No. And so you can take that to be absolutely, yes, it's literal. Uh, I, I think that, that, that that's, that, that's uh, one way to look at it. And I think another way at times in Scripture, there are times where you can look at it and say they're describing something that, we don't really have a full comprehension of so at that yeah. point I, I think it would be more of i, I don't want to say um, like a personification or, or something like yeah. that but um, but it's giving us a picture of something that's that's not really something that we
1: have a reference for yeah i have a thought uh, another thing and we kind of discussed it in sunday school this morning we looked at the account of creation and creation happens in six days and on the seventh day god rested uh, but there's disagreement between people uh, about Is that day a literal 24-hour day? I lean towards yes. There are people who lean towards maybe not. Uh, And I don't know that there's a way that we can verify whether it is or it isn't. Uh, I think there's other uh, things in the Bible that kind of would push us towards one conclusion or the other. Uh, But if that's what you mean by literal. Yeah, yeah. I kind of asked that question on purpose to be kind (laughs) of...
0: Kind, that's of a a, question that's purpose, kind of a trick question on purpose, kind of uh, whatever the word is I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, so it, I would say it depends on how we use the word literal, right? Because today, when we say literal, it doesn't always mean... Sometimes when we say literal, it means not literal. It means figurative, the, the way people use it sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, if, if when we say... But you'll hear people say all the time that, you know, uh, fundamentalists or evangelicals or whoever believe in a literal understanding of the Bible, right? And that's one of the kind of... Um, uh, talking points or, or identifying markers of a conservative Bible-believing church is that you had to believe the Bible is literal. Um, and it depends on what you mean. If by literal you mean what Eli was asking, is the Bible true? Then absolutely, 100% yes, the Bible is true. However, the Bible is not, not all literal, right? When you read Psalm 23, Psalm 23 says that God's going to make us lie down in green pastures. Well, God's not literally going to make us lie down in a field somewhere, right? It says that God is going to, it says that our cup's going to run over, Right. Well, we don't. We don't literally have a cup that we're going to hold up to God, and He's going to, you know, pour water or something to the point that it's overflowing. Those. That's poetry, right? And the Bible's full of of history, and the history I think we should take literally. And Bible's full of of um, uh, of biography in a sense, gospel, and those things I think should be taken literally. But the Bible's also got a lot of poetry in it, and poetry's not meant to be taken literally. Poetry is uh, full of metaphors and, and, and figurative language, right? When God says that he's going to, or when Psalm 23 says that God's going to make us lie down in green pastures, it doesn't mean he's going to go make us, force us to lay down in a grassy field somewhere, even if we're allergic to grass. What, it, what that means is he's going to give us rest, and we're going to be fully supplied and fully satisfied to where we have everything that we need, and we can just relax and rest and, and, and not be anxious about anything. Right? When it says he's going to make our cup overflow, it doesn't mean that we're literally going to hold a cup up and he's going to pour whatever into it until it overflows. It means that, that all of our needs are going to be fully met and we're going to have more, uh, uh, an abundance of, of what we need. And again, we have no need for anxiety and no need to, uh, no worries about, um, about where, uh, you know, where our provision is going to come from. God's going to do those for us. And he says that in metaphors, poetic ways in Psalm 23. And so there are parts of the Bible that are that are that are literal history and biography and, and, and letters and things like that. But then there's other parts that are that are figurative, like um, like Revelation, like you were talking about some of the visions that the, some of the prophets got, the, some of the poetry sections, um, things like that. But but people use that word all the time. Do you believe the Bible is literal? If not, then you're not a good Christian. Or do you not believe the Bible is literal? If you don't, then you're um, you know a, a liberal or, or something like that. And, and it depends on how that word's being used. If that just means, is the Bible true, then absolutely, Eli, yes, the Bible's 100% true. Um, but there are also parts of the Bible that are that are poetic and metaphor and things like that. Eli, to clarify question. Is it trustworthy? Is the
2: whole Bible trustworthy? Absolutely.
1: Yep. Yeah. See? <laughs> absolutely. Good question, Eli.
0: Other questions? I've got a couple questions for, y- for y'all. Um, you mentioned, both of y'all kind of have mentioned it already, but you mentioned, Jake, um, study Bibles a little bit ago. And we, you know, I was just in Mexico last week or the week before last um, with the pastors down there in their graduation. And as, as their graduation gift, we gave them all Spanish study Bibles, a really nice Spanish study Bible. Um, and so, so how, how should we think about study Bibles? Are they, um, are they, are they useful? Are they good? Um, obviously, we think so if we just sent a, gave a bunch away as gifts, right? Um, what's good about them? Um, are there dangers to them? Is there anything that we should watch out for? Um, how do we know if it's a good study Bible or all, all those kind of questions?
1: Yeah. Um, so study Bibles, I think we would all agree, are, are good and they're helpful. We probably all have owned one or have used one. Uh, perhaps we have one with us tonight and one of the things we have to keep in mind is that what's the words of god is what's in the columns and what's not the word of god is what's underneath the columns we've got to make sure we understand that those are just notes that people who have studied these books for perhaps all of their life they've they've found these truths to be helpful in understanding what the bible is saying and so they've added it as a note, but those notes are, are by no means authoritative. Uh, they're by no means the end-all be-all, uh, the final answer, and we've gotta make sure we understand that as well. Because uh, that could be, like you said, a danger to using them is we get so accustomed to what the notes tell us this text means that we start believing, well, that's, that's it. I mean, it's settled in my heart, uh, and it doesn't leave us to kind of wrestle with other, other things that the text might mean. Uh, so that's one of the potential dangers if we always go to a study Bible first, uh, and I would say one of the things I think all three of, or all four of us do when we uh, preach or teach is uh, we we just read the text as it is first, uh, and we we let that kind of um, roll over our hearts and our minds, and, and we pray about it and all of that before we ever go to any comments on it. Because the first thing that's going to happen when you read somebody's notes about a passage or, you know, somebody's commentary is it's going to lead you into thinking a certain direction because that's the way they think and that's the way they've taken it. Uh, And so, you know, you just have to be careful with those types of notes and and things that uh, you let yourself wrestle with the text before you just go and and try and find, you know, some helpful answer to it. Did that answer all the, it was like 10 parts to that
0: question. One uh, one weakness I found in study Bible was it, it seems to me every time I have a really hard question, Or a really difficult topic that I'm trying to see. Okay, what what can I find out about this? Let me look up a uh, in a study Bible or something. I get to that section in the Bible, and there either there are no notes about it at all. The the study, the editor just skipped that part, um, or it's like so such a like surface, simple uh, comments that it doesn't really get to the heart of the question. at all. I guess that's a strength to study Bibles if you're
2: the one writing them, because you can just skip over what you want to. And, <laughs> that's really uh, hard. I'm going to skip that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I would agree with what's been said. Uh, I, I do think that the admonition in Scripture that I, I kind of always point back to when people are saying, well, I've, re- I've read that this author says this about this passage, or I looked at my study Bible and I saw this about this passage. Those things can be helpful, but don't forget that the Bereans were questioning Paul as he was preaching, Right. They were looking through the scriptures to see if the things that he said were so. And so whatever your source is that you're looking at that's given you some uh, explanation or, or some additional places to go look in scripture for these things, do that. Look at scripture in light of scripture go through scripture and see what see what is said in other places. I think sometimes that's the most helpful thing that we get out of study Bibles is that someone has done the work of saying here are four or five other places where this topic has come up in scripture and then you can go to those places and read that in context. Um, part of the, the, the danger at times with depending on who's writing the commentary or who's doing the study is that they may already have some theological or doctrinal views that might be uh, opposed to the way that you might believe or you might feel um, that what what scripture says. And if you begin to just do what Jake was saying, which is just follow along with only what they're using in the notes, you might be pushed in one way or the other as opposed to wrestling with the scripture yourself. So I absolutely believe that we, we look at those things because they're helpful, but the most important thing is for us to major on the scripture.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all have ever been in a Bible study where the teacher's teaching and maybe they're asking a question, and there's a discussion going on, and someone either disagrees with what the teacher said or um, makes a point as if it's something that they've just come up with on the spot and you can tell they're just reading the study notes out of their study bible, right? And that's and, and that's that's a sign that's a sign that, that they're not actually thinking about what the Bible says itself and, and, and wrestling with what it says. They're just taking what someone else has said about it instead of thinking about it for themselves. That's, that's not good. Um, final question, um, and Matt kind of brought this up earlier as well. Um, what, what do y'all think? What should we think about um, children's Bibles? Are there, are there uh, You've already mentioned some of the good things about children's Bibles. Are there dangers to look out for when we're looking for a children's Bible? How should we think about uh, picking out a good children's Bible? Um, even, even I don't know if you all are familiar with the Action Bible. The Action Bible is a Bible that was um, uh, that's that's put together for, for children, but it's like a comic book Bible. It's it's drawn and uh, just it's like, it's a like a comic book graphic book, novel. It's, right, a, graphic it's a novel. big big book, and it's like it's like that. So, um,
2: so how should we think about something like that? Uh, so the, the first thing with any of those is that they're not going to give you the full counsel of God's Word. They're, they're going to have selected stories that they're going to present. The Action Bible, we actually have one, and it is a, it's done like a graphic novel, like you would see Spider-Man or Superman or something like that. Um, so some of those, uh, I, I think there's, they're, they're fine for communicating uh, the general story, right? But they're not going to give you the biblical account of the story. Uh, There are some that have left out certain biblical accounts and I'm like, why did they leave that out, right? Why would they leave this out of, if you're you're putting together a paraphrased Bible, why would you leave this part out? And I'm sure that there's a reasoning for why they left out what they did in order to get it into the right size and number of pages and all of that, but that's the biggest thing for me is that, um, number one, it has to be God honoring, Jesus exalting, consistent with what I know scripture to say if you have any question about whether or not um, it is theologically sound, don't buy it, right? I mean, we're looking for uh, sources uh, of material for our kids that are easy for them to read, something that might be small devotionals for them to do at night, but if we're teaching them heresy, we're, we're not doing the right thing, right? So we're looking for uh, materials that have been paraphrased from solid sources that are teaching doctrinally what we believe. Right, that's the, that's the most important thing. And then uh, ultimately as they begin to, to, to read on their own, like I said earlier, we want them to, to use a reliable translation, uh, the, 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 the international readers version sort of leads people into eventually the NIV, or uh, you can obviously translate over and use the ESV, but that's sort of why it was created. So content, 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 it has to be solid um, biblically. Uh, even even as a paraphrase, that's the the most important thing for me.
1: Yeah, so we're m- my family's in the thick of children's Bibles. We've got probably I don't know eight or ten of them at home, uh, and there are some good ones that we have, and there uh, there's there's one in particular that's really bad, <laughs> and uh, it's actually one that Samantha got uh, when she was a little girl. It's you know got the year of her birth in there and everything, and so we we have used that one from time to time, and our kids love it. There's a lot of pictures really big words, short stories, all of that. Uh, But oftentimes all it does is it just tries to tell you a happy little fun story and then put your kids to bed, but it doesn't really get to the heart of what's happening in that story. Uh, And so some of the other ones that we have that we really like, uh, like the one that we're uh, reading through now with our kids, I don't remember the name of it, um, but it's big and blue, and my wife would know. Uh, I don't remember. But anyway... Uh, it's It's really good in that all of it we just started it like a month ago, and so we're only like thirty stories in uh, but it's it's got all the stories starting from the Old Testament going through, and it's pointing you know at the end of the story it ties it into here's why this matters here's how this plays into the big picture of scripture mm-hmm. and and you know how it relates to Jesus and all of that and so Bibles like that are really good because they honestly sometimes help me in thinking through mm-hmm. some of these old Old Testament stories and how they uh connecting to the larger narrative of the Bible and Jesus and all of that. Uh, so I think one of the things, mm-hmm. if if you know if you're a young family you're looking for a good Bible, flip through some of the stories. you know if they're making a point to you know get to Jesus and talk about Jesus and why he is important and why he matters, that's probably a good children's Bible. If mm-hmm. it's not, if it's just some fun pictures and you know a fun little Bible story, oh, David beat Goliath and everybody cheered. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's maybe not the best. And so uh, I, I think with all the young families at our church, there's plenty of people to ask for recommendations. I'm sure the Greens have read tons of good ones, tons of bad ones. I'm sure Matt and his family have read tons of good ones and tons of bad ones and many others as well. So I think there's plenty of, of people that you could go to for recommendations.
2: I think the Jesus Storybook Bible is one of our, our favorites. Uh, it always kind of brings it back around to Jesus at the end. It talks about how uh, God's uh, never giving up love yeah. is is yeah. always bringing us back to the day when he will send yeah. one who will uh make things right and, and it always kind of comes back at the end to to christ yeah,
0: yeah. yeah uh the so the jesus storybook bible is really good there's another one called the big picture story bible that's really really good um and and th- those have been helpful to me and even as, as adults here um something like that might be even helpful to you if you, if you feel like you know a lot of, about the Bible, you know a lot of stories in the Bible, but you don't know, you don't have a good idea of how they all fit together, um, what does the story of Moses have to do with the story of Jacob and his ladder, and, and 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 you know all these little stories, but you don't know how they all fit together, even getting a really good children's Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible, the big picture Bible, something like that, um, and reading through that as an adult can be really helpful. It's helped me to kind of get a, a a firm grip on the overall whole story of the Bible and how each of those little stories fit into the one one big story, so that
2: that might be something good for you. Well, and thanks. if you if you want an excuse to be able to read that, we have a nursery ministry that is always no. looking for people to help, no. and we have those down there for you to read to the kids. So if you need an excuse, there you go. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks so much, Matt. Thanks so much,
2: Jake. Um, remember that uh,
0: this has been a pretty good series. I think um, re, you know it will be it will be a, a um, it will be a, a, a tragedy. It will be. Um, it would be so, so bad if we have all these English translations, the Bible's been translated into all, all these different, good, reliable English translations, and yet we don't use it, right? Um, there are pastors in, in Mexico right now, probably having church right now, and they're reading from a Spanish Bible, even though they don't speak Spanish, because they don't have a Bible in the Tarahumara language. Um, and, and, and that there's parts that, that, that happens all over the world where people would do anything almost to get a Bible in their own language. And, and we have so many different translations, so many different English translations that are good and reliable. So let's, um, let's not neglect it. Let's, let's use the, the, the gift, the blessing that God has given us as English speakers in, um, in the, the 21st century. All right, well, thank y'all so much for being here tonight, for good questions. Thank y'all for discussion. Let's uh, pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, how you've blessed us. And God, when we look at our lives and the times that we live in, we could uh, go on and on and on about the the, the benefits that we have, about the blessings that, that we have from you. Father, we thank you for the men who uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, some three, four, five, six hundred years ago, God, um, literally spent their lives that we might have an English Bible. Father, I think of men that were burned at the stake, that were killed, um, simply because they wanted people to be able to read the Bible in English. I think it was William Tyndale that said if it was up to him, uh, the plowman in the field would know the Bible better than the than the priest in the church. And his, his life work was to, to produce an English Bible that a common person could read for himself. And so God, I pray, uh, we, we thank you for that. We thank you for that blessing that we have today. And God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to, uh, to read it, to study it, to think about it, and that it would transform our lives and make us more into the image of your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for your church here. We pray these things for our church as well. You'd help us to be a more faithful church, more committed to the truths of your word. And Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our King, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.